What's up, guys? <laughs> this is the first of the Elevate Every Day series. I'm going to be bringing on Rabbi Peretz. Okay, here we are. Yo. Hey, hey. Elevate. Good morning. How's it going? I've only done like an Instagram live like one or two other times. So. And well, never on this. Uh, you know, we'll wing it. Yeah. Yeah. I just meant in terms of even the technical thing, I feel like it was slightly different last time. But. How's it going? Where are you right now? You're in your living room I'm in, or I'm, office? I'm in, uh, I, I built out a little uh, cave. My astrological chart said I like caves. So I built a little space in my garage that uh, gives me peace and time to read. And I surrounded it with um, different art that came to me over the years to, you know, just remind me my journey, my story. And so it's a good place nice. for me to meditate, to write, to teach, and to, uh, to do Instagram. I'm live. <laughs> nice. Yeah, my whole place is my cave. This art piece actually is by Flora. I was just at Art Basel and like he had this incredible, like the opening of Context Art Fair. It looks like this massive um, art fair as part of Art Basel Miami. He had like one of the opening walls with this epic piece and I um, FaceTime my kid. They have a kind of like a connection. My kid had an art show at nine. He's 12 now. But uh, I screenshot the thing because my kid, like I was, I was just FaceTiming, showing the art of Flore, this incredible artist, and the smiles my kid had, like he was like so happy about it. And then I texted Flora, I was like, this is how happy you make my kid just through your art, you know? But anyway, so this is one of the pieces, nice. not like his other pieces, this was, he said he woke up at like two in the morning and just had this idea and like painted it. And it was the first time I met him, I was doing a, um, like a group show, mixed media show at my gallery. And I had never met him before. And I like go around and I'm asking people, okay, what's the name of this piece? Like, you know, so that I can do the printouts and stuff um, and the medium and then the pricing. And when I got to this one, I, I asked him and he's like, just write sold out. I'm like, what do you mean? Or sold. And uh, I'm like, okay. He's like, I was like, what, why? Like, don't you want to sell this? He's like, no, 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 I'm giving it to you. And I'm like, well, what? I just met you like 10 minutes ago. <laughs> And he's just like, I, I can already see, like, you need to have it, and nobody's going to enjoy it more than you. And I was like, wow, people are amazing. <laughs> it's so crazy. Hey, listen, he just knew that it fit your profile right away. It fit your persona. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So since then, he's done a piece of my kid and a couple other pieces and stuff. But anyway, what are, uh, what's one of your, like, favorite um, I'll just pieces back? point to what's easily accessible. Um, okay. That right there is... Um, uh, a friend of mine in San Francisco, where I lived for like 12 years, right. uh, had a Chabad house there. And, and over those years, I had a friend who did these amazing photographs. And when I, uh, and he was also a supporter of, of our work, my wife and I's work. So when we went to one of his openings, I like came there committed to buying one of his pieces. And I said, okay, I'm just gonna like walk around whichever one calls to me the most. That's the one I'm gonna gra gravitate to. And, uh, and uh, this one spoke to me, uh, just, um, it's like this simple beat up car with a right near about to blossom, cherry blossom with this uh, great blue sky behind it. And I thought like, this is like a metaphor of, of like all of us on our, on our difficult days can see the broken car or we can look up and see the beautiful sky and the cherry blossoms about to bloom. I thought it was a good metaphor and, uh, and also a reminder of the people who support me even you know during difficult times, um, this person really supported me. So like having this uh, painting, or it's really a photograph, but it has some art touches to it, uh, is really uh, really inspires me. Monks. I'll only get a piece if I feel like I can't exist without this piece. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, cause it, it's that sort of piece. And David Benuda, his his father Yitzhak, is this incredible artist and lives on the Karlbach Moshav. So he came here and I got like a print or whatever, but he had this one lithograph that was Eliezer um, going out to get Rivka and like this, like on a camel and just like all this stuff around him. And it, for me, it's like, you know, my mom's side is Temani and it had this kind of like Yemenite African art, but Israeli, and it had this whole like just incredible feel and it just spoke to me so much. And I'm like, it is a bit more than I want to spend, but like I have, like I can't have this, you know? And it's like with money, you know, like you're going to regret not having it more, more than you'd regret spending the money on it, you know what I mean? And if it's within the means, but yeah. 
Beautiful. Tell me, tell me about Elevate. Tell me like, um, what, what, what would your hope and aspiration be for these conversations? Like, what do you really want to transmit to people? Yeah. So, I mean, this is the first time I'm doing it. I just kind of had this idea of the name Elevate Every Day, um, which is also going to be the name of like my next book after I'm done with this book series um, and subtitle The Transcendence of Now. Um, and for that, it's going to be just a bunch of quotes, like 365 days. Um, so 365 quotes and then kind of like elaborating on each of these. But the idea, at least initially, since I'm just starting it, so it'll morph into whatever it's meant to be is to just sort of like bring different people that I find inspiring and that are kind of in that space of inspiring others, bringing light into the world um, and just asking them some just different questions and trying to get into similar to we did your podcast um, around don't block your blessings. You know, now I'm doing light of the infinite, but basically how do we brought draw in more blessings? And I love the video that you did. It was so epic in terms of the first time blessings are you know, written about or being brought about in the Torah. Um, but, you know, how to navigate the ups and downs of life. So many people are just struggling being the Yush in like depression and just trying to get to that happiness, like struggling with like the, you know, Yaakov, Jacob and Esau part where it's like, you know, Yaakov's at the, at the bottom, like called Yaakov because the Ekev and trying to get to the top. And then when Esau sees that, he's like, regretting that he like gave him the birthright. He's like, wait, these are the blessings, you know? So like, we're always in this struggle of like trying to get to the top, trying to get to the happiness. And it's, it's always like ups and downs, you know, but the more that we sort of perfect that, the faith part, the perspective part, like you said, from the art that you were talking about, the more we can stay in this elevated space and feel good, even when we're like dealing with hardships, you know? Well, let, like we did we did bond over that the don't block your blessings part but you know what what really is interesting to me about blessings is that you know in the category of spirituality or religion or holiness you have this concept of things that are sacred and you have things that are a blessing and the difference between the two would be a blessing is something that i feel deficiency and i want a blessing i want to fill that void i want something um, I feel in need and I want to bring that blessing to me. And holiness or sacredness is something that is always there. It's about me having to tap into it and me having to conform a little bit of what I'm going through to that so I can tap into that. So if you split these categories as holiness and sacredness is always there and then blessings, it's what's missing and I want to draw in, gives you a bit of a recipe of how to like you know, deal with any given scenario. Sometimes the scenario, after some thought, you realize you're missing something. Uh, you want a blessing. A blessing means you want to draw something new, new life, new energy, new ideas into what you're up to. And then sometimes it's like you think about where you're holding and you're like, oh, you know, I'm not aligned with some of the actual values and, and things that I already subscribe to. And so I have to align myself with my own value system and watch things flow in that manner. So I, I, I like your, your, your growth from just not just to block your blessings, but then to tap into infinite light. It's like these two uh, sacred uh, journeys that we kind of go on in order to reach that. And the holiness part is the one I think people struggle with because they're like, what is holy? What is sacred? Isn't everything holy, everything sacred? Well, yeah, everything has um, something truly unique and holy would be like the essence of something the unadulterated version of it, version of it, you know, the, the piece of something that doesn't actually, you know, uh, spoil or, or, or get, or get disenfranchised after its exposure to the world. It stays at the core of its center. So holiness is to draw from there, draw from that pure space that, that can constantly be itself. And that's what I think um, we're advocating for with Elevate is to recognize your own sacredness and uh, the beautiful parts of your journey and let those not be, you know, taken down with the difficulties and challenges, but to see those as actually places you could keep going back to, keep aligning yourself with, and finding ways to elevate yourself. Yeah. Well, first of all, we should let people know that we didn't coordinate my jacket with your hat, because <laughs> that's like, like, I wish if we could just switch hats, then I'd yeah. be complete, and then... I think you could also potentially be complete. <laughs> Listen, it's, season, it's seasonally cold now. We have our, we have our things we go. I know, we're dramatic in yeah. the West Coast. Um, 
but yeah, talking about the flow, I, you know, I love Rabbi Nachman and I'm sure, you know, also on the Chabad Hasidic and the Brussel Hasidic side, but just this idea that the blessings are always flowing, you know, and to get like to capture that flow is really perfecting yourself as a vessel. So if, if you view yourself as like a faulty vessel or these things like you're talking about unifying or connecting or aligning, when you're not that, then you do have those holes in yourself as, as a vessel. So if the, even if the blessings are flowing, they're not necessarily being held by the vessel that is you. But once you do align, once you do perfect and sort of unify and connect in that way, then you're able to connect to those blessings that are flowing and hold them. So it's, it's not necessarily always like asking. I mean, you have to ask for the blessings also, but like you said, it's like connecting to them and becoming the vessel that could actually hold them and not just have them mm. kind of like flow through and not, and not stay with you. Well, blessings are kind of like, um, like destiny. You have this reservoir of blessings, this like incredible amount of opportunity for your life. And you spend your life trying to manifest those, 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 those parts that are destined for you, that are perfect for you. And those manifest through hopes and dreams and ideas and creativity, but you're constantly trying to draw those in. So it's not that they don't exist. Everything, quote, exists, at least in a state of potential. It's that we spend our lives, whether it's creating a container for it or simply learning to identify that that exists and that's available to me and I can draw that in. So this concept of drawing in your blessings or when we spoke about don't block your blessings was about being able to recognize that they're already earmarked for you. You just need to create that channel to bring it in. What I'm also adding is that it's where holiness is something that you don't need to have a, a, a plan for holiness. You can just be living your life and one day be exposed to things that are magnificent and, and inspirational and, and, you know, and confront the way you are and remind you to be, you know, to be on the path of your hopes and dreams. And that's really what holiness, you know, does and sacredness does is recognize the space you have to make to, um, let's call it, uh, um, appreciate the design that you have, which is to be a receptacle for more than just where you're at in the moment. So these two things that you see in religion, a lot of holiness and blessings, they, they can come across dogmatic when they're simply principles of tapping into the world around you and the greater world around you and people's spiritual worlds. Yeah, no, for sure. I'd actually love to hear your take on, you know, I think one of the things that resonates the most with people with the breast of Hasidus with Rabbi Nachman is the, you know, the Zamra it's called, which is really just seeing the good and bringing out that melody of every person, mm -hmm. but also within yourself so that you're able to, you know, let's say you're viewing somebody else or some situation that you're in as all negative, you know, um, but when you bring that compassion and judge it favorably and see the good, you could actually take that sort of like, if you zero in on, let's say, start to view it as, okay, 99% bad, you know, that 1% good, if you could just find that one little thing that might be good, that you can switch over and, and Mahapath, like, can you know convert transform whatever the 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 bad into good you can take that one percent that you found and start to like flip that into like okay now i'm actually i'm bringing compassion to it and i'm seeing instead maybe there's like one percent bad but 99 percent good or whatever but to get to the level where in any given situation you start to see good and start to push away the bad and the perspective and a lot of people you know their question is like well how could you ever not see bad you know but but I don't know. It's an interesting, I don't know if you learned that. It's rich. I mean, I, I think, I think of it in these terms. Um, these days, uh, the algorithm has been sending me tremendous amount of uh, Egyptian uh, gods and, uh, and background. You know, it's like I start learning Exodus. Uh, we start learning Shamos and the, the weekly Torah <laughs> portion. And all of a sudden um, I'm getting, I'm getting from Instagram and from social media, like the ancient pyramids, no explanation, aliens created it. You know, you're getting all that stuff. And I've been thinking about how the word Mitzrayim, or for Egypt, is, was never a word to be placed on the geography of Egypt, but it was placed on the concept of the self-imposed limitations that we put on ourselves. Well, more importantly, the self-imposed narrowness that we, that we create for ourselves, or like the way the ego creates a narrow um, space that which we look out to the world. And when we create that narrowness, 
that's when we start seeing, you know, very specific evil and very specific things that are in affront front to us. And even if they're correct, it doesn't mean when I'm looking at a narrow hole, doesn't mean that I'm not correct with what I'm interpreting, but it certainly isn't the greater picture. In, in, in our leaving Egypt, in this Exodus story, in the weekly Torah portion idea, we're essentially getting this concept that says that if we weren't released from Egypt, us and our children would still be um, in Egypt today, meaning, quote, in this narrowness, in the slave mentality. And I'm like, we would really be a slave mentality? Come on, the world shifts, things change. What do you mean we would still be in that mentality? And what I, what I realized is with these, with these videos all popping up and what these algorithms are, Jewish people were essentially saying that the Egyptian culture was the fruition of human potential. They built things that we can't explain today, like the pyramids. They, they were able to create a culture that was built out and modern, especially for ancient times. We don't even know their mythology relatively to how far it goes back and how far they consider it to go back. So you have this like fascinating built out culture that dominated the world and everybody fell into place. According to like the Pesach story, like, they weren't just a world dominating figure, but the Egyptian society was the was the the aspirational society for humanity at that time to reach to the level of gods and have control. So I take that till today to modern times, and I realize that what's 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 missing in the world is realizing that breaking slavery is something that is part of being human. In other words, because you didn't cause yourself to be born, you didn't choose the parents you were born to, you didn't choose the space that you were born into, the era, therefore there's going to be a narrowness of which you see the world. And part of your journey is to be able to broaden that out. And the broadening out happens through real effort and real, and real understanding that it's natural to have a narrow point of view. And it requires a daily practice whether it's of gratitude or drawing in blessings to create this sense of not just empathy for the world, but a broader view of how things work so that your empathy is sustainable and that your joy for life is sustainable. Because if it's just this narrow view, when you see good, you'll be happy. When you see evil, you'll be you know, despondent about the world situation. So really it's about really widening that, 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 that ability and opening our peripheral view to we're not we're in an era where we're not slaves where creativity is a form of of of, of self practice and to see what you have available and we're in an unprecedented time to be able to use creativity as a tool to get past all of our limitations and our narrowness and since every person has a little bit of their own creativity there really is no limit to the creative output that human beings can put out there certainly spiritually. So that's really the, the I, I, I feel like the, in response to what you're saying of like, yes, things are difficult, but it's, it's a lot more of the narrowness. And we have to broaden that out to, to really use our own creative force to, to impact the environment and to broaden our ability to see the goodness and the, and the great stories that are unfolding around us. For sure. I mean, do you think religiously people learn these stories as... You know, because somebody was mentioning, oh, I'm in like the conservative movement, like spends all this time figuring out if, if the Bible is not like in order, or this historical document, what's the point of it? Or, you know, all these different conversations. I wonder how, you know, of course, we all experience how, you know, especially if you're jumping from this teaching to that teaching, you're just experiencing and absorbing all these different teachings in the way that you do. But I feel like once you learn that, like, the Torah of the Bible is like something that's happening within you, you know, it's not just the story, then, then it could really, you know, we're talking about elevation, it could really elevate and transform where you're at. And similar to what you're saying, like Egypt is constriction, it's narrowness. Um, and then, you know, the whole point of that story is redemption and coming to the promised land, always hearing about the promised land. And even with Yaakov, Jacob and Esau, like him becoming Israel, you know, and all of the, the, 12 tribes and everybody coming out of that. Um, so that that's like this realization that you can get that, that you bring to your own life where you're like, okay, I'm, I have, these are the elements of this constriction and narrowness. And if that's the perspective that I have, tying it back into the, you know, judging things favorably when you're looking at it through that narrowness and not with the bigger picture, like you said, then you're like existing in that, you're like enslaving yourself in a sense mm. through perspective and the idea is to constantly, if the world's being recreated at every moment, is to like look at it like, how do I leave this constricted state and get to this redemptive state? 
which is like reaching my own, you know, promised land. And also tied to like, you know, from the heel coming to the head, like it's this constant struggle from, you know, the base level, the bottom to reaching towards that top, that elevated transformative space. You're talking about that going through the through growth is requires a certain amount of, you know, get dealing with how you're uncomfortable and recognizing that when you're uncomfortable or when you're struggling, you're in the middle of a growth pattern. And this is already, I would say, very broadly accepted as a psychological understanding of, of our of our stress and of our difficulties that we're in a state of growth. But like to see it as that this has been the Jewish people's journey, that they've you know, zoomed out and see the bigger picture as as a process of growth and that our challenges are a process of transformation, I think is somewhat, you know, encouraging. Um, as far as like um, the interpretation of Torah, I'm a big fan of everybody interpreting Torah because it's a first degree connection. There's the text. The text leaves a lot of gaps between each word and each syllable and each idea. And somehow it's brought our people to this point because each generation has found an interpretation. So even people who interpret Torah, quote, different than you, even so much where you're like, oh, I don't agree with their interpretation, it's, it's at least a first degree effort for them to understand this broader picture of being uncomfortable and transformation and being able to come out the other end with what we say blessings, with coming out the other end with success and abundance and, uh, and health and all the good things we're looking for. So not only the Yaakov and Esav approach, but really um, I, I study with a group of people on Fridays who are, uh, who are um, all um, from a different background than I am. And essentially they discuss the Torah portion very much through archeology span and theology. who's a Holocaust survivor and a self-proclaimed atheist. And I said, uh, what's the deal with uh, your Torah learning? If you're an atheist and you're so upset at this, at this system and the Holocaust, rightfully so, why do you come study with me on Fridays? Like, what's up with this, uh, with this need for Torah? And he says, he said two things to me that always speak to me. First, he says, hey, I love the idea that 4,000 years ago, when people's ancestors were still tinkering with the simplest things like picking fleas, out from their, from their backs or their hair, our people were sitting there thinking and pondering, what is this all about? What are we here for? Why are we doing this? And then he goes deeper and he says, and he says, the next thing is, is something happened. Our history brings us to a desert and we walk out of the desert with a civilization. And although I don't have the answer to what happened, that's enough to inspire me that when we're going through empty voids of desert, of space, of, of, of years that feel sometimes unaccounted for, something greater is happening and something greater is maturing with what we're all about. So I thought those answers were very beautiful from somebody who's like, you know, is really objective look at their background and Judaism, et cetera, and really seeing like something does come from this experience of self-development, of, of, of work and being uncomfortable and what it brought to us to today. Yeah, no, 100%. Sorry, I was a little distracted. I'm like dealing with, uh, apparently my son doesn't know where his lunch is, even though I put it in his front, front bag. I've been um, there, I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like, I can't talk right now, but like, I'm trying to deal with on WhatsApp. Um, yeah, no, 100%. So I, I caught some of that. I'm gonna have to like rewatch, it'll be posted, so I'll rewatch. <laughs> um, but yeah, kids come first, so I was like a little, Always. A little distracted. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, there are so are, are kind of like a series of questions. I thought, like I said, this is the first one. So I'm still kind of like figuring out the structure of what I want to do, but I think it would be cool to sort of have like a series of some of the questions that, you know, each guest sort of responds to so that there's like, you can watch the next one and see what they're bringing, especially because you just see how unique each person is. And you're like, wow, that, you know, this person responded in such a different way or had this kind of a thing. So I don't know if you're open to that. I can ask you a couple of different things. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, one is just a simple, like, how do you stay happy? Obviously you're going to define that however you want. Um, I have what I call my gratitude practice. And that is I, I every morning feel that it's important to take the, the first Jewish prayers of the day, the Moda Ani, uh, or even the washing hands, uh, and utilizing them as times to like think about not only what I'm grateful for, but how I'm just grateful that I get to go through life in this iteration. 
And by making it a daily practice, it inspires ultimately joy for me. My joy personally comes through gratitude. So, and, and, and with that, what is gratitude? Gratitude ultimately is a status, not a result. So to have joy for me on a personal level, it's joy as a status, not as a result. Because if I wait for things result-based and then I'll be happy, I'm not that personality who's going to really appreciate the results. I like the journey and the experience a lot more than that. So learning about myself, I realized like, well, if that's the case, then the biggest thing I need is a gratitude practice, which is basically a practice about appreciating what you have and the joy of the now versus, versus uh, a result-based um, type of joy and gratefulness. Yeah. Yeah. I think Viktor Frankl said something like the best way to be happy is to just not think about or care about being happy mm. like once you try to do that then that's like the cause of a lot of unhappiness because then you start thinking about yourself and thinking about you know and you can get like lost in a loop of just being concentrated and on yourself but also kind of like analyzing am i is this how i'm feeling is this how i'm feeling you know and that's just the beginning of like kind of this sometimes yeah. miserable process you know but if you're putting that and focusing it outward you know, my favorite, I just posted about this like yesterday, but my favorite teaching is just the root word of, of the Hebrew word for love, ahava, being hav, um, which is giving, which means, you know, so many people are focused on how can we be happy? How could I feel love for myself? You know, and usually people are trying to find that in all these different ways. But the, the root of the word for, for love being giving so it means that love is synonymous with giving. And Viktor Frankl is, you know, he's just suggesting, like, just focus on other people. And the more you're focused on other people and giving and making sure they're good, you know, then by default, you're going to be good because you're, like, putting goodness out and you're going to receive that by giving, you know? Yeah, it's very, it's very difficult because we set out with goals. We set out with grand ideas of what we'd like to accomplish. And, but ultimately, to be happy requires a certain amount of appreciation for where you're at in the moment. And to me, the greatest way to, to root that is through gratitude. So I'm very appreciative of, of Jewish culture producing over thousands of years, like morning gratitude practices, because if you start your day with like, not the results of that day, but that the day itself is beautiful, you're giving yourself a real leg up on the ability to be joyful and to be present and to appreciate what you are all about. So very much for me, the, the secret to joy is gratitude. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the grieving process, just having that structure for sure was so helpful. I mean, I lost my mom, which sort of all these projects came out of. But yeah, I mean, now, especially nowadays, it's like people are so busy with their own thing. And it's so easy to think like, okay, somebody else is going to do it. But if we view ourselves, each one as like this universe that, you know, if like the world's created just for me, that means I'm responsible for the world. And just showing up, you know, when the person's in that process of grieving, you know, then it kind of like automatically, and even just community people that don't know people, like that don't know that specific person going through the grieving, there's kind of like this commandment of showing up. And, you know, otherwise, when people are so busy, you're going through it. And without that process, you could just be sitting there by yourself. And it's, you know, it, it sort of creates this community that's so essential for getting through these different things. Well, that, that's like um, um, essentially the, the blessing or the, or the idea that is shared at, in, in spaces of grieving is that we grieve together and that grieving is a, is a human experience and, uh, and, and, and a world experience and like things grieve together. In other words, we mourn, we mourn the things that don't reach what we define as goals. You know, there is a sense of, of mourning to that. And that's why we have to constantly rebuild our, our viewpoint of being happy and grateful with what we have versus those goals. Because when you reach goals, you also reach a platform of some of the goals I reach and some of them we seemingly fail. And, uh, and to get to a space where there is no failure and there is no loss, there's merely different stages of relationships and connection, that, that requires a lot of growth. And for that, you need to every single day be strong and, and grateful and happy because that's where your real strength is. So in Kabbalah, it says the happier person wins the battle. And their idea is, is that there's a certain extra oomph of energy you get with joy. 
And uh, it's not easy. Certainly, there's a grieving process, right? When somebody loses a loved one, there's there's stages of Shiva and 30 days of mourning and then a year of saying Kaddish. In other words, we spend a year, a sun cycle, a natural cycle of grieving. But at some point, that grieving needs to turn into also like that's a result-based experience. And my life is not finished. So the results aren't in. And therefore, I have more time to be enlightened and be fulfilled and live with purpose. And more importantly, appreciate, you know, each moment as a beautiful time to express and to be creative. So you really, they really do tie in together. And it's especially important for, for life today because grieving sort of shows up for a lot of us when we least expect it. You know, you lose a parent. I lost a sibling. You don't, you don't wake up from that nightmare of losing someone you love. You merely learn how to be um, expand your own self to include a larger story and to include a larger dose of inspiration. Like you create a portal to the essence of that, of that person as best as you can. You, you redefine the relationship in terms of inspiration and, and love and joy. So that's, uh, that's very much you know, something that I, I take a lot of comfort in as being a Jewish person of having such a great tradition around around, you know, linking joy and gratitude with grieving and loss. So I appreciate that connection you're making. Yeah, for sure. I mean, bringing it back to the constriction and narrowness, it's like, even that loss is for sure, how, how you sort of move through that and how the, you know, if you're, if you're elevating that loss, like there is that possibility then you're staying in this sort of redemptive state, like bringing it back from like constriction to redemption. But if you're looking at it through this narrow lens and constricted, then, and with any situation, any hardship that you go through, it's like, if you're looking at it through that or like fear or not seeing the bigger picture or not leaning into faith that this is ultimately gonna be for the good, like I could turn this into good if I have this, you know, this sort of wider lens and figure out what I could do with it. Like with my mom, it's, I mean, the hardest thing I think for me was like, my kids had just lost their grandmother on, you know, my ex-wife's side. And then, then they lost mine and they were like so close with both of them. So it was more like, oh my God, I can't believe that this is happening. You know, they're losing their grandparents more than it was for even for me for losing my mom. But then, you know, the way that I was viewing it was like, okay, but my mom was, you know, supposed to have passed from cancer like, pretty really fast and one of the lessons was that you know the, the doctor was like it's kind of a miracle that she's still like surviving and looks so good and all this stuff after you know she had an extra three years and a lot of that the doctor was like it's just her perspective like she's she just had this positive perspective a lot of other people that are told and then their body's actually struggling with all this stuff they just like they're just like okay that's it like they're fully depressed and they just give up and then they actually pass pretty quickly, you know, with what my mom had. Um, but I think the way that she was approaching in her positive attitude gave us an extra three years. So my kids had three more years with her, you know, and after the passing, it's like, to some extent, it is what it is. And you just have to look at this extra time we have. And then, you know, putting in these projects and writing these books and just being like, how can I turn this into something that could help other people rather than it being something that's going to be very unhelpful to me and me being drowned by it, let me figure out how I can like bring more life into the world and more light into the world with it. So I think that's like, that's something that, you know, is any given situation. It's like, if we tap into the lack of faith or like the fear, then we're in this sort of constricted state and you're bringing in like more difficult situations. But when you're able to like elevate and transform that, then, then you could turn it into something good and bring in more goodness and, and be a light to somebody else. Somebody else is going to be going through this. And it's like, oh wait, I went through this. I can help this person. And oh, I, I appreciate you, you, what you've done with your, with your, with um, you know, your loss to turn it into a platform of inspiration. Like used it to continue building your foundation as a person. Like it's a, it's it's truly aspirational. So you should have continued ability to draw in that inspiration and to keep building with it. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's always a struggle. Like yesterday, it's funny because I like woke up and sometimes it might be like, I don't really drink. So if I even drink like a little, you know, I'll drink over Shabbat, like over the weekend, sometimes like some wine and Arak or whatever. 
Um, but because I don't normally, sometimes it'll kind of take a toll on me. And, you know, for every action, <laughs> there's an equal and opposite reaction. So sometimes I'm like, why am I feeling a little down right now? And then sometimes it'll be that. Other times, it was a good reminder that you can't always take for granted that you're going to feel good because, you know, I've had like a good run the last bunch of months and just super motivated writing and just doing all the stuff. And, you know, and then yesterday waking up like that and, I mean, one, I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe this is just putting me in a space that I can relate to more people because so many people are going through this all the time. And sometimes it's good to be like back in that space so you can remember exactly how it is and help other people. And for me, I'm like writing or creating music or whatever from that space to try to, you know, bring something positive out of it. Um, but just remembering that all it, like, it's also like you have to kind Kind of like store up that good and and bring these perspectives and these teachings and this wisdom into those moments and sometimes the scary thing depending on the person it might be like you're feeling a certain way and you're like wait is this going to be like how long is this going to last is this going to be like i've had a really good run and now i'm going to be in this for a little while or whatever um and yeah sometimes you just kind of need to like fight through it and get back motivated and get that perspective and get back into like the good space you know what i mean definitely and I, I think that's where the the uh, the leaving Egypt daily thing in Jewish tradition, or leaving the narrowness, you know, the 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 Egyptian narrowness of the ancient culture was that you are destined to live within what you were born. You can't grow beyond the destiny that you're born in. That's the sign. And for Jewish people, you know, that was like, well, we're actually born to break the barriers we were born in, and. Uh, and create a foundation of where we could shine. So definitely uh, using grief and loss as, as a form of inspiration for that is, is one of the prime features that we're able to do. Right. It's funny because last night, um, Neely Salem was giving a class for her mom's Yorkshire, the one year of her passing. And I brought my kids. I was like, I'm only going to be able to stop by for a little, show you some love, you know, support. Uh, Cause I have my kids and she's like, Oh, well, we're going to be like planting and painting and all this stuff. So it's perfect for your kids. Anyway, I had messaged a bunch of people cause she's just so incredible. Like one of the biggest lights I've ever met. Um, so I'll always try to invite people, especially if they're going through hard times or whatever, like, trust me, come to this class. Like you're going to be inspired. Um, and one of the people afterwards had messaged me just how moved she was and how amazing it was and all the stuff and just thanking me and whatever but then related to that she's like what's your sign and what's neely's sign or whatever and i'm like okay so i'm a taurus i don't know her sign i'm like i know i live in la but i'm like totally not like in that universe like and she's and then she's like what did she say i don't know she's like well it's so connected to you know this and then whatever like your traits and, and similar to what you said like and I was just like, yeah, I hear that. It's definitely connected to nature, but like my concentration is not being like stuck in nature. It's like rising above mm -hmm. that, you know? And in Ezekiel, like in the prophet writing, and I love this interpretation, and like Asav would have looked at it like the end, the end is coming. And that was like his whole obsession was with mortality and kind of like the, let me just live for now and just enjoy every single thing in the moment. Um, whereas, Jacob was viewing it as like the end, like, like redemption and the next world and all like more goodness and reveal good and where everything's going to be good is coming. And Ruby Nachman, his interpretation of that is that right now we're in the world governed by nature, but the fact that the end is coming and we're getting closer and closer to that, we could tap into that divine providence and bring that into surpass nature in these different moments. You know what I'm saying? It's beautiful. I mean, listen, Judaism believes in the redemptive arc, you know, and it goes back to Jacob, this, uh, this redemptive arc that within each thing that you're, you're doing, there is an arc of, 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 and a process, but it's a redemptive arc. It's one where we redeem something new and open something new. And that's a, that's a daily process. It's a yearly process and a lifetime process. Like, where is it the Baal Shem Tov saying that we could be here for one great moment and we're essentially preparing ourselves our whole life for that great moment. And we may never even know that that moment happened, you know, or is happening and it's unfolding. So there's definitely a redemptive arc within this experience of humanity and the redemptive arc plays itself out constantly. And you could look to your signs, your astrology, your name, your, you know, where you're from as 
things that essentially put you in that position to see the redemptive arc. Uh, you're a Taurus. I'm right before you. I'm a Pisces. So I, I sort of fit into almost everything. But uh, my name, Parrots, means to break through. So I always thought like the idea of to breach means that even when you don't see where you're supposed to, you know, grow from and where you're supposed to emanate from, there's, there is somewhere. You just have to keep going for it. There's a way to not only break through, but preserve the life of breaking through. How long did it take for the breach to be able to be something that we could live with and recover from? So the redemptive arc of breaching is something that I identify with very much and constantly finding ways to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because mentioning like, you know, how long or whatever to, to get into that process. I, I think like the one way to see that is just, you know, with relationships and especially breaking up, you know, if you're in love with this person and there's like a break in that, it's, you know, it's so hard for so many people because you're, you feel like this unification and you're like tied with this person and then you're just broken from that and you're getting so much life from that, you know, like this source of life from that person and from the relationship and what you guys had created together. And I think right after that, I mean, everybody deals with it differently, but it is like this process where you're sort of almost like gifted with seeing how you go through this process and like learning from this process of how much of your perspective is based on fear and how much is based on faith. Meaning when you're in that space where you're just like very sad or depressed or whatever, it's because you're like tapped into this fear that that was meant for you and that you're like losing that and it's completely unfair and this fear that you're not going to find it again and all these different things. And when you're in that narrow constricted state, it's, it's kind of scary, you know, because you just have lost your faith and of at least within that element of your life. But as time, you know, this healing, incredible thing um, transpires, then you're able to start to tap into more faith. And then you realize, then you're also able to like look at it and be like, okay, I have more clarity before I had like all this doubt that this is for the best. So I was in this constricted, scary, you know, fear-based state. But as you move through that through time, then you're able to look back and you're like, okay, I'm seeing this a bit more clear. Like this wasn't, this obviously wasn't for me because it's not working out. And there's obviously something meant for me more. Um, and then you're tapping into that faith. And I think the more these things happen in so many different ways in our lives, the more we can like, like uh, the Rebbe would talk about like instead of like fighting to get under this hardship, just jump over it in the first place. It's really like, as we go through this and we have a healthy perspective, then we can start looking at it from this perspective of faith instead of fear and then the more we could do that the shorter the period of this like narrow constricted spaces you know because that's just existing in this like lack of faith and the more we can jump to this faith-based space then we can shorten that time and we're like no, no this is happening for a reason this obviously isn't for me there's going to be something better and we don't have to exist in that space anymore and now I'm reading, you know, Deepak Chopra books in preparation for our talk and stuff. And he has this book, Metahuman, and it's like how to go above these things and this consciousness and being able to like, when you're in that space, look at it from the outside almost and be like, okay, like this is hard, but I can still be good. Like the two things can still exist, you know? So I think that's, that's like one of the most useful tools. And also just from the perspective of reading these stories in the Bible of like, how do we jump to that? How do we focus on that? You know, and like talking about seeing the good, like judging it favorably in any given situation that this is ultimately for the good. Like we, it's hard to see it when you're in it. And we have this long term memory loss that it's like, we forget like, okay, this financial thing or this heartbreak thing, like it's always kind of worked out. But when we're in it, like we forget that. And it's like, we're only existing in this thing where it's like, as if nothing had ever worked out in the worst situations, you know? I mean, I personally live in a world where most of the people I meet are not faith-based people. And because they're not faith-based people, I have to decide whether faith is important enough to make that a priority in what I'm talking about. And surprisingly, the more research I've done in Judaism, the less I see faith necessarily as what's needed. And the word that comes to mind is trust. Yeah. And I understand that they could be interchangeable on some level and they could be discussed. But the difference for me is, is that 
trust is saying that there's a reason to be trustworthy, that there's, there's a foundation of why you trust. Sometimes it's because you yourself have to remember that you've been through worse or you've been through this before. And sometimes you could zoom out and say, my family's been through it or my people have been through it. But there is an, a way to identify overcoming of the struggle where I think trust needs to be incorporated into our, into our world. I don't think we trust well today. We believe things pretty well. We hear an argument, we get very excited by the argument, and we believe in it for the time being until another argument comes and perhaps shuts that down. Trust has a whole different function. The function of trust is, is that it's built on something trustworthy. So it's like the Jewish people, they have this redemptive arc, they leave Egypt, but they struggle with their faith because they're the first to go through this. So what do they learn? Well, let's trust, just like we went from being slaves to now being like actually in a harder position, which is how do we build a life now? Before at least our life was told, this is how it is and it was narrow. Now we have to make our own life. We need to trust in ourselves. And how could we trust in ourselves? We've never built it. So we have to start thinking about our ancestors and our family and people of best practices. We have to create a foundation where we trust what we're going to do and then what do you have to believe in? You believe that if you've done things that are trustworthy, then them not working out is by design too, because it's trustworthy for it to work out. So if it's not, it's destined for you to move in another direction. So to me, faith is like something that I use to reinforce the trust that I, that I need to have in order to get out there and keep trying things and keep living this redemptive arc in its in its in its uh, fruition in its physical form, right? Yeah, I mean, related to that, it's it, the trust is like should motivate you for that forward momentum. Because even when they're like they did escape Egypt, like the Jews are escaping Egypt and they're like on their way to the Promised Land, all the things that were supposed to happen, and you know, and they could have some faith in that before that part of being completely redeemed. They're like, but we like they're looking back, you know at Egypt and, and not thinking of all the horrible hardships that they're looking at, like, well, it'll be easier to have what we had rather than lean onto the trust. And like, at least we got fed fish there. Like, at least we had this stuff that we didn't have to like worry about and was like provided for us, even though, and that's kind of like that 1%, even though 99% was hard, there was this 1% that was taken care of. I'm gonna focus on that because I don't wanna have this forward momentum that's completely based on trust, you know? And when they do, then they do receive the promised land. But yeah, it's it's kind of like this thing that we're always facing at all times. And you, sometimes you need to have that trust to be able to have that forward momentum in the most difficult situations where you have to completely lean on it to be able to move forward. Beautiful. So yeah. Um, okay, so I, I'm probably, I'm gonna have to go in a second, but um, just jumping on one more question. Like what's the best advice you've ever received? I'm curious to hear yours. Cause I feel like you have so much wisdom and have gone through so many different teachings and experiences also just teaching other people so it'll be interesting well, what comes to mind well my dad taught me to to try to make decisions based on the way i understand things and to trust my own intuition because there's like this path that we're talking about of faith and trust or gratitude and joy and all these topics that we brought up but really to do them authentically is the really hard part. It's a lot easier to go to a, go to a, a, I'm hosting a retreat soon. I'm expecting in the retreat that I'm doing people to be in a, in a great space. I'm gonna create a great space. And the, the challenge is gonna be, can, I, can these people take something back to their world and make their own life better? And, and, and I won't be able to do that for them, right? That's their authentic space. So there's all these teachings and all these on all these portals of wisdom that have been open to me growing up in a mystic culture and in a, and in a really deep uh, spiritual culture. But authentically being able to do it requires tremendous risk because you have to do according to what you understand. So being given the confidence that like when you're not sure what to do, do what you think should be done and and living with that and and screwing up with that, by the way, and, and not being always successful in that, but then having the experience to learn from that, that was, uh, I, su I sum it up in this, uh, the classic joke of two people walk in a room, one with money, one with experience, and the one with, uh, with the experience walks out with the money, and one with the money walks out with the experience. And <laughs> ideas are just certain things that cannot be acquired without you going through them. 
And that's, uh, that's, um, that's the most fascinating advice that I received from my own dad. It wasn't his teachings or his best practices. It was, you're going to have to go through this on your own. And in order to be authentic, if that resonates with you, and then built on that authenticity, you'll have your gratitude and your joy and your grieving and your loss, but it will be yours to work through and yours to build trust. Because faith is gonna be for, I have faith that the world is marching towards harmony. In other words, faith to me is this real deep optimism. Whereas trust is, it's not that I'm optimistic, I just trust the process because it's both what's been going on and my authentic interpretation of how I could do it in my own life. And that's, that's where we're at, is, is believing that who you are is enough, trusting that the decisions you make will lead you to making better decisions as you move forward, and allowing the experience of being you to lead your own life. And, and whereas in, in sometimes you look to religion or you look to society and, it's, and it doesn't feel like it's telling you to be you, that's why that advice was so great, is even when I started off being a rabbi and I was told, well, this is the way you're a rabbi. And I was taught to, to be religious Jew. This is the way to be a religious Jew. This is the way to teach. It kept being told this is the best practices. So you start conditioning yourself to look for best practices to emulate. And that may be great pedagogic support to get you off the ground when you begin. You're not going to really find yourself until you authentically are living your life. And that requires a building of sense of trust, which can't happen with yourself without going through it. So do according to your own understanding is not just a piece of advice. It was like a way to navigate all the difficulties necessary for growth. So I appreciate that if you still live with that advice all the time. He said it in Yiddish to me, tu vi by dear kumtes. Amazing, amazing. All right, well, thanks so much for, you know, setting aside the time and being the first in the Elevate Everyday series. Always happy to dive in with you, Ares. It's great to see you. You too. Awesome. All right. Well, have a great week and yeah, I'll shout, see you soon. Shout out to all, my, all the people who joined us today. Let's see. Uh, look at all these beautiful people. Amazing. <laughs> all right. Take care.